Good morning again. Before we get to our study, let's pray together. Our Holy Father, you are wonderful to us. We thank you for our homes, the clothes that we have, the food that we had to eat. We know that it all comes from you. We thank you for your great and wonderful gifts. We thank you for our families and our loved ones. We thank you for our church family here as an encouragement to us. Father, we ask you to bless us now in the study of your word. Help us, Father, to read from this book, from the book of James, to take to heart to the message here, the things that you have to show us by your Holy Spirit. May they fill our hearts. May we carry them with us. Father, we ask that you help us in our weaknesses and change us in our faults and remove the evil from our hearts and make us holy. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, I want to look at the book of uh, James, and specifically James 1. And I intend to make a series out of this, and so I intend to go to James 2 next week and, and so forth. And, you know, it might very much look like a Bible study like we had in Galatians. But I think you'll see the reason why for this. It's been on my list for a while and looking over some sermons that I look at them and uh, I look at a number of things like, when's the last time that we had a, a number of sermons in the book of James? And I don't have a record of that. Now, some of my records, I have them in different places, go back. So in the last uh, five years, I need, uh, uh, maybe I've been doing James on Sunday night, but I would really like to look at this morning, book of James on Sunday morning. So you have your Bible, let's go to James chapter 1, and we'll start in the first eight verses in James. And looking at temptations and trials, the blessings and benefits that comes from enduring them, how God gives us strength, and the further instruction and wisdom that comes from the book of James. When we open up the book of James, we're going to see this. He writes to the 12 tribes of Israel. And if you know from history that eight of those northern tribes that were taken away from Assyria, who were not a part of the Babylonian captivity, were assimilated among the many nations. And, you know, it could be that we could claim um, uh, somewhere in our past some kind of connection to them in blood. But here we have James. As he speaks this, most commentators will say that he's talking to the church as a whole and to God's people. And so we have James as a general epistle to all Christians. And we're going to take a, a closer look at his instructions here. You ever accomplished something difficult that you fully believed you could not? All right. You, you think about those things. I, you just make up your mind. I can never do that. I've never been good at that. You know, and it might be something as in uh, a certain diet. It could be in your athletics. It could be in your work in a certain trade. It could be that you changed careers in the middle of your life and didn't know that you can do it. And uh, you accomplished that. And there are things that we go through that are often, you know, very difficult. And we 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 will question ourselves on those matters. So um, I hope that we think about that in the context about we about what we're about to read here. What we are going to see here is the fullness of faith. And James is all about wisdom. A lot of people will compare James to it's as though he had Proverbs in his mind and then he read the Sermon on the Mount or he knew of the Sermon on the Mount and heard Jesus preach on it. And you hear the Sermon on the Mount come out in the book of James and you hear these Proverbs that are stated here. A lot of the commentators, scholars will say, well, James is just a, a string of pearls. And there's definitely a string of pearls there, but I think there is a common thread going throughout. And this morning, I hope that we 
see that. That because of enduring trials and temptations, God strengthens us and He gives us endurance. And in the context of that, we often think of, well, when I've gone through hard things and I've experienced difficult things, then wisdom will come from that. If you're like me, I have gone through some things and I've done some foolish things throughout my life repeatedly, and it took me a long time to get the wisdom from it. So uh, all because you experience something doesn't mean that you gain wisdom from it. And I think that's a key point to look at as we're going to read here in James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. So let's, I see you open your Bible and read with me in James 1. So James says, this is James, the brother of Jesus. And notice how he identifies himself. He says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just as a comment right there, when it says a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no real break between God and the Lord there. There is the word and, but the two words God and the Lord Jesus Christ are connected there and being recognized as one. To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Does that sound familiar? What did Jesus say when you go through persecution to rejoice? So again, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, uh, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. It produces endurance. But let patience have its perfect work, and you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind." For let not the man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So some thoughts about this, the things that we've read here from James, some observations, some points I see here. Like Christ, James taught that believers should rejoice in their trials. He says, count it all joy. You know, and... You hear that said, but that seems like a difficult thing to do. When I'm going through difficult times, trials, or temptations, I feel often beat up by it. I don't usually take joy in it. But James here, he gives us reason, just as Christ has given us reason, to take joy through these circumstances because they're going to produce something. You know, you go through these things and God allows you to go through difficulties and trials to to develop you. And make you a better person. And I think there's a theme here, and it, there's an illustration that helps me to, and I'll probably come back to it. But it's like a parent you know, letting their children experience certain things, going through difficult times. And as they get older, they're going to be able to experience and go through harder things. Why? Because you're hoping that they will get some wisdom from it. But you do know they'll get some endurance and patience from it. So again, like Christ, James teaches us, count it all joy, rejoice through your trials and temptations. And the word trials, temptations here are interchanged. Uh, it's the same Greek word. What joy can someone have in trials? Again, it's because it produces in us patience and endurance. It gives us strength. It develops our character. Reminds me of Romans 5 where we see the same thing. That if you go through these hardships, it develops your character. It builds your hope. It gives you patience and endurance. 
We also see here in the text that the full work, the full work of the testing, it makes you complete and whole. And that's a great theme in the book of James. What James wants you to do, he wants you to keep growing as a Christian and a believer and to be whole, to be complete, to grow in wisdom. So, again, the full work of this testing makes you complete and whole. In the face of trials, God gives wisdom to those who ask. Now, we might be thinking, well, I've gone through these experiences. I've gone through trials and temptations. Therefore, that wisdom is going to come to me naturally. No, it won't. It it will not. Uh, What you need is the faith that to get through that difficult time and doing it by faith, then you do what? You go to God in prayer and you ask for him wisdom. And I love the promise here because it's definitive. It says here, if you ask God for wisdom, he'll do what? He'll give you wisdom. But if you doubt, then you're not going to receive it. And that's an amazing thing to think about. How many of us needs, need wisdom? I need wisdom every day. What should I do about it? Should I just think, well, I'll figure it out? Or I, you just stress over it. Or you, maybe you, you take out your anger on somebody else. I, there's a, a dozen or a hundred different wrong ways to address temptations and trials. And instead of uh, just going that path, we've got to go to God for the wisdom through those things. So when we have trials and temptations, go to God for wisdom. Pray. He'll give it to you. That's a promise of Him. And also know that you should take and count it all joy because you're going to have endurance. You're going to become more full and complete through this. The person who doubts will not receive God's promise of wisdom. And so, uh, you know, that individual who's not coming to God with faith, of course, they're not going to receive what he has. In fact, that individual has, has other problems wrong with them because he says he's at conflict, he's unstable in, the, in his own ways, in the way that he walks, in the past that he goes in life. The doubting man, again, is conflicted and unstable. So what stands out to me here and the points I want to stress this morning is not not all experience produces wisdom. It takes a testing of experience going through hardships and trials with faith that produces endurance and the endurance that we want and the character that we want. And the wisdom that comes from that must come from God and it must come from us being humbled through those circumstances and praying to him for wisdom and instruction. That seems very clear here uh, in James chapter one. Another thing that stands out here is that we need to confront trials. If you don't confront trials and temptations with faith and God's wisdom, then you're just lost. What is there for you? You imagine that? A lot of people, when they go through hard times, they complain, they blame others. Some people say through the suffering of their life, see all the suffering I've been through, evidently God doesn't love me. He's not omnibenevolent. He's not caring for me. Where is He? Uh, and the whole time God has said, if you ask for wisdom, you get it. You want endurance and patience, you'll have that. All these things He, he offers through faith and reliance upon Him. As you keep going through the book of James, you see this. And this section of Scripture, if you look right here, James 1, verses 9 through 11, when you're reading through James 1, it might think, well, this is just another point that James is making. But as you read through the rest of the chapter, they're all strung together, and there's a common theme here. I want you to look at this. James 1, 9 through 11, it is definitely tied in with temptations and trials. So let the lowly brother... Now, the word lowly here in Greek means someone who's in humble circumstances, and in the 
the context, we're going to think of someone who is probably a poor or difficult situation. So is he going through trials? Yes. He says, let him glory in his exaltation. In other words, when good things happen to him, let him take, um, you know, boast of that and speak of that. And of course, in his faith toward God, he says, but the rich man, now James is talking to Christians here, to the rich who are Christians and believers, let him take glory in his humiliation. Same word for the, the word lowly up there. The same Greek word is right there for humiliation. And humiliation meaning humbling circumstances. So the rich man in his humiliation finds uh, glory in that and blessing from God. And it says here, and he needs to do this because as a flower of the field will pass away, uh, his life is going to come to an end. All of us face death. We face the same end. Doesn't matter our status or our wealth. We're gonna we we come to that same conclusion that we need to be right with our Creator. So James says, for no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade in his pursuits. And so again, don't be boastful. You know, in other words, it's the idea here that the wealthy might be saying, well, in all my pursuits and all my success, he wants to boast in them. And God says, no, you take it in your humble circumstances, the things and the trials that you face in life, and you glory in that before your God and by faith. And so we carry on with that thought and we'll, we'll build upon that as we go through the book of James. James 1 and verse 12. I love this scripture. James 1.12, and many of you probably quote it, blesses the man who endures temptation. The same word that we read about trials before, here it is again. Temptation, trials go together. So whoever endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life of which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And you think about that. Why is it that I want to endure trials? Why is it that I want to count it all joy? Why is it that I want to seek God in prayer through hardships? It's because God promises His blessings at the end. You receive a crown of life. You have blessing in this life, but ultimately in the life to come. Everlasting life. So blessed is the man who endures temptation. That you come through these things on the other side because God gives you great things. He promises to them and He gives them to those whom He loves. And you keep reading here, He then makes further application. James evidently knows that there are some here in the context and their background who will blame God for the difficult things that come before them. Who will look at their life and say, you know, I'm doing this because God put it before me. God allowed me to engage in this sin and God did it to me. But listen to what the Bible says here in James 1, 13 to 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. You can't be tempted by God. It's not God who tempts. It says, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And so I might look at that and say, wait a minute, Jesus was tempted. And how was Jesus tempted? Well, his flesh was tempted, but his spirit was not. He was not personally, inwardly tempted. He was merely acted upon by Satan tempting him. All right? And someone could, and likewise, try to put those things before God. Uh, in, the, in the sense of trying to tempt God, but there's nothing you can really tempt God to do as far as evil. He is always good. He is always right. And so again, no one can say that he's tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. 
God does allow it. And again, the, the image of, pa- of the parent comes up. You know, um, someone might say, well, you're not a good parent if you, you allow this happen to your child and this. And to a certain extent, that's very true. But I'm going to allow my children to carefully do dangerous things. I'm going to allow them to ride their bike even though they might break their arm. I'm going to allow them to climb trees even though they might fall out of it. I'm going to allow them to go and play around the neighborhood and things like that, even though they might go, you know, hurt themselves in the process and things can definitely happen. I'm going to instruct, instruct them. I'm going to guide them. And that doesn't mean that I'm a, a bad father. And some have made that claim toward God. You know, look what God has allowed to happen. You know, God is always benevolent and he always knows everything. You would think that he would just stop all evil from just happening. And that's a foolish way of thinking. God wants us to develop. He wants us to grow. He wants us to mature. He wants us to be humble in the weakness of our flesh and that we can't fully meet his standard, that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, that we need his grace and his mercy. He wants us to be humbled before him. And him allowing us to go through that is no fault or wrong on his part. And so we read here again, God doesn't tempt anyone. What does, where does temptation and where do these things come from? But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. In your flesh, the things that you covet, the things that you want. And as the Bible warns that you, you give in to these things, and the desires become a part of your flesh. Sin dwells within your flesh and dwells within your body. It reminds me of what Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who's going to deliver me from this sin living in my body? He says, I give thanks. That to Jesus Christ. And he goes on to explain that he has freedom in Christ. So again, each one is when he's tempted, he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when his desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. That's a strange image there if you look at verse 15. Pay attention to what he says there. Desire does what? Desire gives birth to sin. And sin grows up, matures, and sin gives birth to death. And that's what we see. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6 and verse 23. And so you have a warning here from James. He's like, listen, these desires that you have, if, if you don't endure them, you're not going to be blessed. If you don't endure them, they're going to give birth to sin. And that sin is going to grow and grow and, and in its fullness, it will bring, apart, bring about death and separation Separation from God, spiritual death. That's what spiritual death is, to be separated from your Creator. James goes on and look in verses 16 and 17. He says, do not be deceived. He says this a number of times. Don't be deceived. A lot of people allow themselves to be deceived, to believe things that are lies and are false. And James says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. In other words, it's not God who tempts you with evil. You know what God does for you? God is the source of all good. Everything in your life, every good and perfect gift. Your spouse, your family, your children, all the blessings that you have, they come from God. They come from the Creator. That comes down from the Father of lights, the Father who has made the heavens, who has created all things. He is the one who gives you those blessings, with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. In other words, God is always good, always doing good, and always giving you good every day of your life. Thank Him for that. And don't blame Him for the temptations and the trials and the hardships that you go through. You turn to Him and you rely upon Him and you endure those things and you ask Him for wisdom. That's what James is showing here. 
And as I've been pointing out and the, the imagery I've been putting out about parents, again, should adolescent children blame their parents for their hardships and trials? You know, imagine that. You know, a lot of people today, they blame God for their problems. Look, God, let me do this. Why did God allow these evil things to happen? And if you heard that from a teenager today, blaming their, their parents, you know, and there might be some truth to it, but say they just got good parents and they're fussing about, well, I didn't get to go into college I want to, or I didn't get to do this or that, or I don't have a car and I don't have this and my parents don't give me enough money we would automatically think they're spoiled they're spoiled what is wrong with them they don't realize the blessings they do have the house that they have the clothing they have the things their parents have given them and they want to blame everything and every problem throughout their life on their parents and their parents can blame their parents and in the foolishness of it i think should be apparent to us blaming god for our trials and hardships is absolutely wrong we thank god for the great and good things he gives us Now, there are two other parts here in the book of James that stand out as far as trials and temptations. Usually when we go through trials and temptations, um, things will come out of us that shouldn't be there. Wickedness and response and anger or wrath, vengeful behavior. People will go to work all day and endure stress and they'll swallow it. And once they get home, they'll let it out on their family. Listen to what James says right here, James 1, 18 to 21. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. I want you to notice here. What does God do? What does he bring forth? What does he give birth to? He gives birth to his people, to Christians. Why? How? By the word of God. And we see the same thing in 1 Peter, that we are born again by the word of God, that we might be a kind of first fruits, the first produce of his creatures. We're the beginning. We're what God wants in this world. And so God has brought us forth by his word. So then, my beloved brethren, listen to what James says, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. That's a great message. You be quick at anything? Listen. You're going to be slow at anything. It's about how you speak and how you respond and the things that you say. And if you're like me, there are a number of times when I had that quick response and I regretted it instantly. The things I said, the way I responded, and how I behaved. And so right here, enduring trials and temptations, you're not enduring them when you're doing this. You're not enduring them when you're acting out. When you act out in wrath, it says this, that wrath, that slow to wrath, wrath means a reactive, vengeful anger. He says, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You might be thinking, well, I have just reason to be angry. I have just reason to act the way that I am. And you can tell yourself that. And you're just trying to justify yourself and make yourself feel better because the actions and your behavior does not work the righteousness of God. It's best for you to be swift to hear and slow to speak. And slow in that anger. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Remove all the evil in your life. And receive with meekness, what? With humility and meekness, the implanted word, the word of God that implanted in your heart, like a seed that grows and flourishes, that it may save your souls, the life within you, that it may save you from within. You want the word of God in your heart. And there's a big difference in that in reacting and wrath. So you ever wished... Uh, that you had not responded, you know, to someone with a biting remark. I think about that. And I think it's even more revealing to ask the question in this way. Have you ever looked back and said, you know what, I could go back and tell that person something, I would say this. And you shouldn't, you shouldn't say that. You were right the first time to be quiet and not have had the words. But I think that's revealing. 
about who we are and how we respond and whether we're enduring temptations, whether we're going through trials, whether we're seeking God and His wisdom. I want you to listen to this part of our scripture reading this morning. James 1, 22 to 25. James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. There it is again. You can deceive yourself. Well, I'm at church and I went to Bible study and I read my Bible and, and I heard the, the preacher preach this morning, but then I just heard it and I was there as though that's, that's what needs to be done. What needs to be done is that the word be implanted in your heart and you be a doer of it. That's the response. I need to be a doer, not just a hearer. He says, for anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who goes and he observes himself. He looks at his natural face in the mirror and he looks looks at himself and says, oh, I need to change. He observes himself. He goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. You know, he doesn't make any alteration. It's the same person who hears and doesn't make any changes, who doesn't do God's word. He looks in the mirror, he sees what's wrong, and he just goes on with his day. We need to be doers. We hear the word, let's make changes. He says, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty. Notice that description of the gospel here. The gospel is being described as perfect, it's God's law, and it is a law of liberty. It gives us freedom. And then we look into it like a mirror, and it shows us the image of Christ, who we should be like, who we should, who we should model ourselves after it. And after we see it, and we see that reflection, and we see that mirror in that direction, we continue in it. In other words, we make the changes. When we hear, we become doers when we do that. We're looking rightly in the mirror and making the changes we should. He is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work of, of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. You want God's blessings? You want the good things from him? You can't be just one who hears the word. He says, I believe it. I agree with it. And yet you never do it. Let's make sure that we're doers. Let's make sure that when we look in that mirror, we're making changes. I encourage this morning as we've thought about these things in the book of James, in James chapter 1, blessed is the man who endures temptation. We've seen the great blessings this morning. And as a final note here, and I want to make some points on this. Is your religion pure and undefiled? When we went through that series on Sunday morning, watched the video series about the founding fathers of the United States, they often said in those 15 proclamations that we said, they talked about true and undefiled religion, pure and undefiled religion. That's the quote there. It's from James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. I want you to look at this what pure and undefiled religion is. And I want you to look at a number of three things here. And imagine having two of these and leaving out one. Imagine having two of these and leaving out one. What kind of religion do you have? I often hear people today say, I don't have a religion, I have a relationship. Well, the Bible says you have a religion. All right? And it's not a system of how you worship. It's a, it's a matter of your faith and obedience to God's word. That's your religion. It's a religion. It's the Greek word threskeia. It means to follow God, to be devoted to Him. He says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious, and many of these, these individuals did, but they were missing something. He says, note these things. If you think you're religious, and he does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is worthless. It is useless. All right? And there are many people today who say, I'm a religious person, and yet they let that wrath out. They speak with an unbridled tongue. And that comes up again in James chapter 3. Listen to this. He says, that pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To do what? To visit, to care. For who? For orphans 
those without the parents to care for them, who who are destitute, and for widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, if we have true and undefiled religion, I want you to, or pure and undefiled religion, think about this. What if I don't bridle my tongue, but I do take care of the orphans and widows, and I do keep myself unspotted from the world? There's still something wrong with my religion. Let's say I do bridle my tongue, and I do keep myself unspotted from the things that go on in the world, but I don't really care about those who are in need. Then I don't have a pure and undefiled religion. And let's say I do hold my tongue and I do take care of those in need, but I have a pet sin on the side. I still don't have pure and undefiled religion. And things that we studied this morning has encouraged us that we endure temptation, that we seek God through those trials, that we count it all joy, that we allow God to do His work, that we ask Him for wisdom, and that in the end that we have pure and undefiled religion because we are doers of the law of liberty of which we've heard. I encourage you this morning, if you haven't been born in the Word of God, I hope that it will take plant in, in your heart and cause a change in you and that you become a Christian. That you be baptized, having confessed your faith and repenting of your sins, that you put on Christ in baptism. If you're having struggles in your life, you're having difficult times enduring the, the trials before you, get others to pray with you. Pray with them. Seek them out. Follow. Find somebody that you can study and open up God's Word with them. Find somebody that you can confess your sins to. James chapter 5 teaches us that. We'll get to that. Think about those things. I encourage you this morning, whatever your needs are, let's make the change. Let's be doers of God's Word. Let's stand and sing together.